Today we continue digging into dirt with Angela Strathoff, a PhD soil scientist and program director in the Ontario Soil and Crop Improvement Association. Soil is the foundation of ag production and we're continuing to better understand how important soil health and management is. My name is Mike von Massow and this is the Food Focus Podcast. In this episode, Angela and I talk about what farmers can do to improve soil health and why they should, and in many cases are. I also ask Angela about the issue of carbon sequestration or carbon capture and whether ag can play a role in removing carbon from the atmosphere to contribute to climate change mitigation. I learned a lot and expect you will too. So we've established that there's a lot more to that handful of dirt, sorry the dreaded D word again, than most of us really think about on a regular basis, or frankly ever. That's pretty cool. I lived in southern Alberta, in Lethbridge, for a while after I graduated from Guelph as an undergraduate, and one of the things I saw a lot about, talking about erosion, on a windy southern Alberta day, the sky would be grey, despite no clouds, because of erosion in the wind. And to a significant degree, people would tell me that that erosion was worse right around Lethbridge, where I lived, because a significant proportion of that land to the west was rented and was managed on a much more short-term perspective rather than longer term, which made it more prone to erosion, and I'm guessing you'd tell me a lot less healthy soil. So are there things that farmers and others can do to improve soil health? Absolutely, there's lots they can do. It's it's interesting that you that you mentioned differences on rented land because I think I think we see this in Ontario as well. Is is almost this dichotomy of farmers and their approach to soil health. On the one hand, we have really enthusiastic, innovative, progressive, and curious farmers who who are interested in uh, in maintaining, enhancing soil health, and really interested in talking about it. They're very strong ambassadors for, for the management practices that we know minimize that erosion, that we know feed those soil microorganisms, and that we know kind of ultimately lead to resiliency of soils in the long term. But on the other hand, you have farmers that are faced with challenges like just the practical question of how much do I invest in this parcel of land that I rent? Or how much do I invest in in changing my practices, you know, knowing that I might not see that return on investment in yields? Maybe I only see that return on investment under the conditions of catastrophic weather events, or or maybe it's so long term that I can't justify making that shift in my in my approach to management now. So I think I think there's a lot of opportunity for farmers to to influence the health of the soils, and I think they know that. I think the vocabulary that farmers have around soil health and the types of questions that they're asking people like me and organizations like Ontario Soil and Crop Improvement Association, they're really interested in in developing their knowledge and in trying new things that are going to be supportive of increasing soil health. 
but it's really challenging because soil is a critical aspect of of their food system but it's also still just one aspect and when you have you know maybe livestock and herd management decisions and you have market forces that are that are influencing the rotation decisions you're making in your cropping system it it does become really difficult to to prioritize soil health in in the way that consumers or policymakers might think is obvious and easy. So I really sympathize with the opposing forces of, of decision-making that, that farmers are faced with. And some years are better than others. One of the fundamental characteristics of agriculture is the cyclical nature of both production and prices. So when margins are low, prices are low, it might sometimes be hard to justify an investment in longer-term practices. Some of those health benefits, and correct me if I'm wrong, are longer-term and are harder to measure. These benefits may be hard to see, too, because we're avoiding future losses, and benefits or positive benefits may also take some time, which makes it hard to connect to what we're doing today. Absolutely. And I think the rate that we see effects of poor soil health is kind of masked by all of the agrochemical advancements that the industry has made over the last 50 years. They're supplying the most critical nutrients at the rates that plants need them. And so maybe the impact is of lack of attention to soil health is kind of buffered by the fact that farmers are still getting back impressive yields in their corn, soybean, wheat rotations. Um, we see it in Ontario with a uh, reduction in, in livestock numbers across the province. That's impacting and reducing the amount of organic matter that's going back into the soils that uh, that would have been going back from in the form of manure in those systems previously. So absolutely, market forces are impacting farmers' decisions, and we may not know you know the full extent of that influence for another ten years. But we see a lot of gains being made in in the approaches that farmers are taking and the implementation of practices like reduced tillage, like cover crops, both of those practices really leave something on the soil surface that protects it to the elements. And that breaks down, again, into this pool of organic matter that's so critical. So we've talked about some of these practices that farmers are investing in. Are farmers who are implementing some of these things seeing immediate benefit or are they taking it a bit on faith that this leads to an ability to keep things where we are? <laughs> Is it the case when someone like you helps them make decisions to undertake some of these good soil health practices, do they reap, pardon the pun, immediate benefits or do they just have to believe that things will be good? I think both. One of the really interesting and exciting you know, things that's come out of the last 10 years is everyone's access to social media. And so when you have these, uh, these soil health experiment success stories on the farm level, you better believe people are, are you know, willing to share their success stories, probably 
definitely more readily than they are their uh, their challenges or their failures. But when you start talking to farmers who you know who have been at these practices and tweaking them and perfecting them for decades, they're the first to say, like, this did not happen overnight. This was a process. We learned a lot. We had to maybe a field was an a write off one year and and lesson learned that you're you know trying your uh, trying a different termination of the cover crop that that next season but the fact is they trust the science they trust the long term outlook and that's really critical in having them take another crack at it and say I'll make those tweaks I've learned that but this is worth it. And and I'm going to have a few conversations with my neighbors, you know, go to some farm meetings and maybe put my problem out there on social media and just having that conversation and building that network and connecting with other farmers who are trying these things. I think that's something that technology affords us today. And I think it's something that's really validating the successes and challenges of the approaches that these farmers are taking. Well, that then begs the question, how did we get here if all of these things make so much sense and are critical to the viability of agriculture? Is it because we didn't realize what we were doing or not doing or? I think it comes back to the first question you asked me today. Why should we care about soil? And I'd suggest the problem is like, we all went so long in this industry without knowing how to answer that question that we're playing catch up. And, uh, you know, there are decades of soil degradation in some parts of North America that, that have to be, that soil health has to be won back. So I think it was just a resource that was taken for granted. And I think now we're coming to understand that that can be rectified. And not only that things can be rectified, but that they need to be rectified. Absolutely. Which gets us to the reason we're seeing national restaurant chains talk about soil in their advertising campaigns. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we'll see more of that. I agree. And I think it's something that while it's tough for people to get their heads around, that productivity will matter to people and that it will be something that farmers and others in the food value chain can differentiate themselves on. Mm-hmm. Productivity, and I'd suggest marketability as well. If this if this trend continues of you know consumer recognition and demand for crops that are grown using the practices we now recognize support soil health, that's going to be a market force that can determine farmers' approach to management as well. I think that's something to watch out for. Yes, I agree. So before I let you go. I wanted to ask you a question about carbon sequestration or carbon capture. This might be an area of focus for consumers about climate change and agriculture is often vilified to a degree because of emissions. But we also hear about the opposing argument that agriculture also plays a significant role in carbon capture. Is this an important part of the soil health equation or what am I not understanding here? No, I think think you're, you're right on. And if you think back to that compound of organic matter that I described, that's basically carbon-based. And and you can think of adding uh, organic matter to the soil as essentially adding carbon back to the soil. When plants are growing through their roots, they're pumping carbon into the soil. And when soils are 
left undisturbed, that carbon is contained in the reservoir that soil acts as. There is more carbon stored in soil uh, than there is stored in trees, than there is stored in wetlands. So the potential for keeping the carbon that's in the soil there is huge. But the tricky thing with, with this concept of carbon sequestration is it's much, much, much harder to build and retain carbon in soil than it is to have carbon leave the soil. So as soon as soils are disturbed, those microorganisms that we talked about earlier, they become really active. And and just like us, they're living and breathing and exhaling carbon dioxide. That's going into the atmosphere. And, uh, and so there's also ability for disturbed soils and poorly managed soils to be a source of carbon dioxide. So it links back to, you know, the management decisions that make sense to the farmer, reduce tillage, increasing crop residue, maybe diversifying your crop rotation and introducing cover crops that also add carbon back to the soil. But I'm always a little conservative myself about the potential that agricultural soils have for carbon capture, because again, there is the flip side of that. Once you've built up a lot of organic matter and a lot of carbon in the soils, any physical disturbance is going to make that susceptible to loss as well. So, so you anticipated my next question really well. Is there capacity to get more carbon in there or are we managing soils to keep them stable so we're not emitting more? Mm-hmm. And additionally, I read somewhere earlier this week that a farmer in the U.S. is now getting credit somehow with financial benefit for carbon capture on his land. Could we see farmers turning practices into a revenue opportunity by changing how they farm? They'd be farming to capture carbon in addition to farming to produce crops. There are a lot of people who are excited about that prospect. You know, it comes up in conversations around the carbon tax here in Canada. You know, is there, like you said, ability to increase these stores and have that as a source of revenue for farmers? I guess the short answer is yes, but the answer I'd lean towards is yes, but it's risky. It's risky because measuring carbon in soils is notoriously variable. Even measuring organic matter in soils is, is can be highly variable over the course of a season, over the course of a field, even over the course of a square meter. These levels can be highly variable. So we need some consistency in measurement. Uh, we need some agreement around what is an acceptable increase or decrease that would justify payment? And uh, and is that something that other industries can are, are, are going to be getting on board with as well? Because agriculture is not the, you know, not the only industry that is made up of landowners. So there's lots to consider. And, and I definitely think the conversation is going to keep going in that vein. But there's going to be a, a a lot of questions that need need addressing first, I'd suggest. Okay. So it's not as straightforward as we should get credit for what we're doing. We have to be able to measure effectively. We have to be able to say what's an acceptable level. 
We need to figure out if you get credit for the carbon that's in there historically, or only if you capture more. There are many things that aren't known yet. Exactly. It's a huge question. And, you know, it comes, it would also be looking at the differences over time. So maybe a field that's been practicing no-till and using cover crops for decades, you can almost imagine it as, as approaching its maximum capacity for containing carbon, whereas a, a less carefully managed soil has that much more room for improvement. So there can be a lot more carbon held once improvements on those degraded soils are made. And that's going to really create a, that's going to really reduce opportunity for, for farmers who have been implementing good practices for a long time. So there may be a first mover disadvantage here if it starts with getting credit for capture. If it starts now, and I've been doing good things for 20 years, I don't have as much potential to store more. Exactly. Yeah, that is one of the risks of moving towards a system like this. Now, that's not to, you know, diminish the potential of a system, but, uh, and a lot of farmers are excited by the possibility, and they do want to be recognized and maybe financially compensated for the good work that they're doing in terms of protecting and managing and enhancing soils. So I think it's a conversation that's going to continue, but there's uh, definitely a lot of points to consider. The answers are clearly not easy. No, but nothing in soil is. That's why it's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, well, exactly. Last question with respect to carbon, if you'll indulge me for another minute. Are there cropping systems that are more carbon absorbing than others because they disrupt the soil less? I think that's one of the points you raised, perhaps because not as much of the growth is harvested and taken away. As an example, a beef farmer might argue that they are doing better with their pasture and hayland than someone in a continuous corn, soybean, and wheat rotation. Are there crops that may be more viable because of the benefits of storing carbon, assuming we can get around the economics of that, than others? Mm -hmm. The pasture example you gave is is great because the the carbon capture there is kind of twofold. The system's undisturbed; it's not being tilled or worked or really intensively managed. It's it's just kind of existing and growing and being harvested and and uh, or grazed. So that's a great example of where it's not releasing carbon because of low disturbance, but it's also inputting a lot of carbon because as the roots are growing, they're releasing carbon into the soil. And as the harvest of forages are coming off, that's also encouraging growth. So there's a lot of, uh, yeah, there's a lot of interest in pastures as, as good practice for conserving soil carbon. And I think there's a lot of potential still for these, you know, corn, soybean, wheat rotations that are so important to the economy of North American agriculture. There's a lot of potential for them to you know, introduce cover crops or or maybe adopt no-till. And that would also go a long way to conserving carbon that's there. Okay, well, thanks, Angie. I probably learned more in the last half hour than I did in my entire Intro to Soil Science class all those years ago, not least because I'm paying more attention now. 
but also because you explain it so clearly. Before we wrap up, is there anything about soil that I should have asked you but didn't, or a last point you'd like to make? I think I'll just, you know, circle back to to what we touched on in the beginning, which is how important soils are, how underestimated they are. And hopefully we see this trend of everyone's interest in it increasing. And that comes back to just increasing people's understanding of how critical they are. So conversations like this are going to be really important for that. So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today, Mike. So if we're at the farmer's market or we're dealing with a large company, a restaurant company or something else, one of the questions we should be asking is, what are your soil conservation or soil health practices? And really be spending time and money with those that are doing a good job. Sure, absolutely. Great. Thanks very much for your time, Angie, and looking forward to chatting again. Thanks so much. Anytime. As we wrap up another episode, I want to take a moment to thank Max Graham. We get to have the interesting discussions, and he does the hard work to make us sound good. I also want to thank Zach Von Massow for the original music that we use in the podcast. Check out foodfocusguelph.ca. We have a blog that is updated regularly and our Food Focus trend report as well. You can contact us through the website or at foodfocus at uoguelph.ca if you have any questions or suggestions. We appreciate our audience and your recommendation. It helps us grow. If you are so inclined, give us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Reviews move us up the ladder and help others find us. That's it for now. Thanks again for listening and stay in touch.